we're going to find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to be picking up in verse number 7. And tonight we're going to look at a servant leader. A servant leader. We are reminded, and uh, the writer of Hebrews is uh, showing us, uh, and he's going to be talking about servants. We see that word servants uh, can also be interchanged with um, a bond slave or a bond servant. The Apostle Paul used that referring to himself. He came to understand that he was a slave to his master. His master was Jesus Christ. And, but we also see there's a word that's uh, incorporated in that when you talk about church leadership. And it's the word minister. This morning in Sunday school, we looked at that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Very interesting word, that word minister. It means an under rower. Now, get the picture here. Paul is referring to there in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we see it here in Hebrews as well. And that word minister means to be an under rower. See, to be a servant, to be a minister... You're not the captain of the ship. Now, we've lost sight of that in the church. We're ministers. We are servants. We're not CEOs. And many of our churches have gone to that. Where they come and they think they just manage the affairs. And they act and operate like a CEO. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible says that we are to be servant leaders. Those that are in leadership position in this church, first and foremost, need to be servants. And so that word under rower means, uh, understand the day uh, of Paul, uh, the ships, they didn't have engines, and so they would take slaves and they would put them at the bottom of the ship and they would be the rowers that would propel the ship to wherever it was going. Paul alluded to that, and he says that's exactly what a minister or a servant leader is to be about. They're not to be uh, set on a pedestal. They're not set to be in the limelight. But they are under the orders of the captain of the ship, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded, Scripture is quite clear, that the pastor is not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We also need to be reminded, and we use the term quite often, that uh, he is to be the shepherd of the flock. I understand that. But I like to use the word under-shepherd because the pastor also needs a shepherd. See, he is the great shepherd. He's the good shepherd. That's talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so those of us who have the wonderful privilege, and by the way, it's all by His grace that we're able to have the position that we hold, is that we are not the, the, the captain, but we are under Him, and we get our marching orders direct from Him. And so, uh, he tells us, you're in chapter number 13, look at verse number 7. It says, Remember them 
which have the rule over you. He's talking about church leadership. He's talking about the minister. He's talking about uh, the, the pastor there. He says, remember them who have rule over you, who have, now catch this, who have spoken unto you. How do they speak to you? The word of God. See, they don't come and they don't get on the internet and uh, look uh, their sermons up. But a, a, a minister uh, gets his uh, sermons direct from God. It's from the Word of God. Uh, I'm not saying that we discount uh, commentaries and all that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying it's okay to do research on the internet. I'm not saying that at all. But when it comes down to it, you better be getting your word from God because He's the only one that has power in His name. He's the only one that has power in His word. And so, uh, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. Notice the sequence here. This is talking about church leadership. This is talking about the spiritual leaders of the church. First of all, we get our, our, our word uh, from God. And the word that we get, we should put it into action. How do we put it in action? By how we walk in faith. Notice it says, whose faith follow. See, the word would follow them. And so he goes on and says, uh, and uh, concerning, uh, considering the end of their conversation, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And he says, and be not carried about with divers. That word can translate into a various, a various and strange doctrines. Oh, how we need to hear that in the modern church today. He says here, we need to be very careful that we are not caught up in the false teaching that's abounding. Matter of fact, one of the time, signs that we know that we're getting closer and closer to getting out of here is that you will see uh, even more an escalation of wrong teaching. Then he goes on and says, For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Notice he says, Your heart is to be established with grace. See, to be an effective servant leader, you have to be saturated with grace. And the only reason why we need to understand that is sometimes we lose sight of that. Sometimes we get in and, and, and we listen to this is how you're supposed to do church. This is how you're supposed, you're supposed to have business practices. And I'm not saying there's uh, the business side of the church. We understand all of that. But if we're going to be effective leaders, we're going to have to exercise grace for those that we're working with. Uh, how do we do that? Well, sometimes you just got to go ahead and give them a chance. You just got to say, hey, here, uh, you've been under the teaching. You've been under, it's time for you to take that step of faith. Oh, what happens if they mess up? I mean, you know, I, you know uh, hey, 
how are they going to learn? How are they going to be trained? And by the way, if we get so consumed where, well, we don't want to put somebody in a position because they may screw things up, how many times have you messed things up? And so he says we've got to be, uh, we got to establish in our hearts with grace. But then he goes on and says, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied, uh, have occupied their sin. Now we're going to stop there. And the first thing that we see is we're talking about servant leadership. We have to go uh, to the, the example that we should follow. In Matthew chapter number 20 and uh, verse number 28, it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. This is talking about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is our example for servant leadership. And so he tells us that he came not to be served, but he came to serve. It would be wise for us to take heed to this because if you're in a position of leadership within the church, you need to understand this thing ain't about you, but it's what Jesus Christ has done through you. And because of that, you understand this thing is about others. It's not about you. And sometimes we've lost sight of that. Sometimes we have been our own worst enemies. And I have nothing against uh, uh, the TV personalities. I have nothing against those uh, that, uh, that with the mega churches that get a little bit more attention. I, I have no problem with that. But what have, have we done is that we have made celebrities out of servant leaders when they should have never been made celebrities because they didn't come to be served. They came to serve. Is anybody with me tonight? And so notice how he functioned. He said, here's how I served. I gave my life as a ransom for you. Jesus Christ, who is our example of what a servant should look like, that first and foremost, we have to understand that if we're servant leaders within the church, that is our life. And I understand, a lot of people don't understand this. And, and, the, and the, the preachers in the house can identify with this. Is that sometimes even our spouses don't understand what this thing's really all about. They don't understand why you have to get up at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning because you get a call from the ER. They don't understand why it's your day off and uh, you're having uh, to cancel the plans that you've made with your family because there's somebody that has a need. See, many people don't understand that uh, they say, well, what day you get off? Well, we get this day off. But sometimes it doesn't work like that, does it? But here's what we need to understand. If we've been called to be servant leaders, if we've been called to the gospel ministry, this thing no longer is about us, but now it becomes about others. Now, I'm not saying that we neglect our families. I'm not saying that at all. 
Oh, and many have even gone to the other side where they have neglected their families and now they're paying the consequences for that. Uh, there's got to be a proper balance, is it not? Oh, but here you're saying that's right. That's what, oh, that's what a preacher should be. That's what uh, a youth pastor should be. But my dear friend, the Bible is quite clear that if we have come to trust Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we're all ministers. That's what sets us apart from the lost and dying world. See, the lost world, it's all about them. But when you come to know Jesus Christ, it no longer comes about you because you now have the love of Jesus Christ in you. And may I remind you, don't you think it would have been a lot easier for the Lord not to go to the cross? And the only reason why He went to the cross is because of us. That He's our example, is He not? And so as we look to Him as our example, notice the progression here. First of all, Jesus is our example. And then those who are in church leadership, those who are ministers, uh, those who are pastors of the church, uh, that leadership now needs to filter over to the church. And then when the church uh, understands what servant leadership is all about, now we're able to go outside the walls of the church and be effective ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world that has no hope outside of Jesus Christ. So, he reminds us, uh, first of all, in verses 7 through 9, that we looked at the stability of the church. What do we mean by that? Well, first of all, in verse number 7, he says, Remember them who have rule over you. Some scholars say that oh, this is a reference to those who have been martyred for their faith. And I have no argument with that. I think we ought to remember those who've gone before us that have gone on to be with glory. Do you understand tonight that somebody went before you and because of, the, of their leadership, you're able to be where you're at tonight because somebody went before you. And we ought to have a high guard and respect for those who've gone before us. I wish I had the time to explain to you the, the men uh, and the women uh, that uh, have uh, been uh, instrumental in this church. Many of them have gone on to be with glory. I need to remind you of the pastors who've gone on before us. And because of their leadership, we're able to be in the position that we're in tonight. We should never, ever forget those who've gone before us. Because one day... There's somebody who's going to come in behind us. But then I believe also it could be that we are to remember those who have authority over us. That word remember means to keep in mind. And I'm not here to, uh, to say look, look at me and, and puff. But you ought to be praying for your church leadership. You need to remember those that are on staff here. You need to remember those that work with your children on a regular basis. We need to remember those because I believe I can speak for all of us here at Hillcrest Baptist Church. We all have recognized the fact that it's only by God's grace that we're able to hold the positions that we have. And we take it very seriously. 
We take it serious when we have your children, even when they're little babies. We take it serious that we have someone that needs to minister to even our babies. I'm glad to know that we have a preschool department uh, that is adamant about they're going to hear about Jesus. Now, I understand there's playtime and all that that has to go in with that. But that's not what we're here for. On Wednesday nights, when we go back to the back, and you'll see that many of those children, uh, that we have those that work with them, and they take it very seriously because they understand their purpose there is not to uh, get them better uh, basketball skills or anything like that. Their understanding is that we are to teach the, uh, the Bible and we are to be ministers to these boys and girls And the ultimate goal is to see them come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And we take it serious. When you go to the youth hall, and I know when you're working with teenagers, I'm telling you, I thank God that we have some folks. And Brother Addison is helping lead all that up there. I thank God there's some there saying, you know what? I don't like teen, uh, you know, teenagers are weird. I understand that. And I'm not digging on you guys. I love our teenagers and I like to cut up with them. But I'm telling you, they're just weird ducks at times. And all the parents say, Amen. Brother Addison says, Amen. But I'm grateful that we have some that are willing to be used not so they can make new friends, but to instill in them biblical worldview, morals, and the Word of God. We take it serious, but it's a daunting task. That's the reason why you need to remember those that are in leadership here. You need to be praying for every one of us because this is something that is a lot bigger than we are. And by the way, it's something that we make could go through the motions, but if we're going to have an eternal uh, and we're going to make a difference in their life for eternal, we better have the leadership of the Holy Spirit working in us. And that congregation, you are obligated to pray for those in leadership. Notice here, he says the Word of God. He makes mention of that. But then he talks about a walk. Now, the minister is to be uh, understanding that he needs to hear from God. In order to hear from God, he picks up the Word of God. Now, when he looks at the Word of God, we understand that uh, there should be conviction. Now, we've lost sight of that in the modern church as well. We're doing everything we can to make it more convenient than being more concerned with conviction. The Word of God will convict you. If you're teaching it and you're preaching it the right way, it should bring conviction. We shouldn't have anything or say, hey, it's whatever you think how this thing falls out. We're just here to help you along your journey. However you choose to go on your journey. That's a bunch of foolishness. 
If, if that's what we're about, why are we even bothered? Because that's exactly what they're doing now. We're preaching the Word of God. We're teaching the Word of God. And there ought to be conviction in our teaching and our preaching. Some people say, well, I don't like going there because you're putting people on a guilt trip. Well, my dear friend, if you just preach the Word of God as the Word of God, it should bring them on a guilt trip. But we're not in the purpose of bringing people on a guilt trip. See, that's the Holy Spirit working in their lives. And that's the Holy Spirit trying to convict them of their sin because uh, God knows if they don't change their ways and continue to live like they're living, they're doomed and destined for a place called hell. We should make no apologies for preaching with conviction. We shouldn't have no apologies that when your child comes to Sunday school, they're going to get some convicting teaching in that class. And we've made it so convenient. I have nothing against uh, coffee and all that. Uh, but many of our churches, if you didn't know by the sign in the front, if you walked in, you would not even realize you was in a church. We made it uh, for food courts. And in and itself, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not fussing about that. What I'm saying is, have we not lost sight of what the church is to be about? It should be a place of conviction. Convicted of our sins. Convicted that we're not living right. Convicted that we, we should be separated people. Conviction that we ought to be something different. We shouldn't blend in with the world. And so here he talks about the word, but then he also talks about the walk. In other words, we need to be practicing what we preach and teach. And we've lost sight of that as well. And I've said it many times before. I will continue to say it. The lost world doesn't really give a rip what you say. But they will take notice of how you walk. And they got to match up. And so if we're going to be a servant leader, not only do we use the Word of God, but we also need to work and walk in the word that we're preaching and teaching. But then he goes on, and he helps us to understand, and it's been said many times over, that a church will take on the personality of its leadership. And I find that to be true. And so what we should be, those of us that are in leadership... We should be more concerned about not them liking us, but we ought to be more concerned about how we're walking because they're going to follow us. Paul said it this way. Paul says, I'm okay with them following me. And then you say, well, Paul's an arrogant cuss, isn't he? No. The reason why he could say that is because, he says, now you follow me because his walk was a walk of faith. Do you see the difference? He was walking behind the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And my dear friend, when you're walking in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's okay for you to say, hey, you can follow after me because they're really not following you. They're following the one that you're following, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're following the Lord Jesus Christ, you're on the right path. But then he goes on, and we see in verse number 8, we see he talks about the Savior. Notice what he says. He says, now the the Lord, he says, the Lord does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. May I remind you that church leadership changes. Pastors come and go. Staff come and go. And we got to be careful that we're not getting a following but we're helping them to follow after the one who does not change. You, you see how this is working now? And so oh, he says that we need to be concerned oh, that we are not trying to get us a fan club built together. By the way, we see that quite often. Now, I'm not here to fuss at anyone. I understand uh, there, there are some uh, pastors and uh, some uh, teachers that, that I like, but I don't follow after them. You should never follow after a personality. Okay? You should be following the person that they're trying to lead you to, the Lord Jesus. And, and so uh, we see uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 8, he talks about, uh, and here he made a, uh, a reference to it about the meats. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 8, understand the context in which we're saying it. There was apparently some discussion about dietary laws. We understand that the early church, there were many who had been converted from Judaism, but there were some that were wanting to go back. And one of the things that you'll find is that they had dietary laws. Matter of fact, they still do. And, you know, Orthodox especially, uh, they eat nothing but kosher food. Those of you who have been to Israel and you complained about the food, oh, uh, well, I kind of like the food myself. I thought it was pretty good. But some, they just had a craving. They went through withdrawals from Pizza Hut. And, and so they, I'm just telling you, they have McDonald's over there. And they say, let us go eat McDonald's. I said, what in the world is wrong with y'all? We got McDonald's here. You're in Israel. Eat the food they eat. Some of them said, no, it's not of God. There are some that believe pizza is the manna that was referred to back in Exodus. <laughs> but, but here there, there was a problem. Now, the, the problem was they believe that if they have a, a, a certain diet, that makes them more spiritual. That was the problem. And if you didn't eat the food that they ate, you were not as spiritual as they were. Here, in Hebrews, it refers to that. 
and helps us to understand. Notice here it says that the servant leader should be established in his heart by grace. Folks, it's not about what you eat or what you don't eat. It's about the grace of God working in your life. And, and so we, we see that uh, you go to fasting. There, there's nothing wrong with fasting. It is biblical. But fasting, if you feel convicted to do it, does not make you more spiritual. Okay? Also... Jesus had an issue with some of those that were going around telling everybody, hey, I'm, I'm fasting. Just want you to know how spiritual I am. And Jesus said, if you're fast, you shouldn't be telling anybody. That's not the purpose. And also, fasting is not to lose weight. Some people mix that. They, they, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to make it look like I'm spiritual. But what I'm really doing is I need to shed a few pounds. You are doing fasting wrong. The purpose for fasting is for you, uh, and there's different types of fast. We don't have time to go into all that. But the purpose is for you to be totally consumed with knowing and getting word from God on the decision that you're needing to make. That's the reason why you fast. It doesn't make you more spiritual just because you fast. We need to understand here, he's talking to uh, the, the, the Jews here, that they had to come to understand that it wasn't anything that they were doing. It was all by God's grace. I don't know about you, but aren't you glad that it's not the diet that you eat that's going to make you more spiritual? some of us would be in deep trouble. I mean, would we not? And by the way, if you want to be a vegetarian, you go for it. But don't come around telling me I need to be a vegetarian. If God's convicted me doing that, then I'll do it. That's, that's, the, that's what we're talking about here. And, 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 and a spiritual leader understands it's not jumping. And I'm just going to go ahead and let you on the secret. A lot of those, especially you'll see it in the TV uh, ministries and whatnot, not all of them, not all of them, but many of those, it's about control. Churches that adhere to that you've got to do some works that goes back to they want to have control over you. And here, what we need to understand uh, to be the, the spiritual leader that we should be, this thing is not about how we can control you, but what we're needing to be concerned with is getting him and letting him have control over us. Right. Mm, y'all not getting this. Does this make sense to you? Did you see the, uh, the, uh, what he's trying to lay out here? Now, uh, we're moving on here. We, we see uh, that uh, there's a church uh, separation. Verses 10 through 14 helps us to understand. He talks about sacrifices. He's uh, referring to all that. Now, that goes back to the Day of Atonement. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse number 27, it talks about that the sin offering was to go outside the camp. 
Okay, the sin offering was outside the camp. What is the significance for us today? That we need to understand that this thing that we're doing is not religion. This is about a relationship. And so here, remember, that there was uh, those who had just come out of Judaism. They were wanting to go back for whatever reason. Paul addresses that quite often in his, uh, in his various letters here. He said, why in the world would you want to go back into bondage? And many churches uh, that uh, say they, uh, about works, well, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. But it's, you can't find any biblical mandate for that. All that is, is they're trying to control you and they're trying to teach you not about a relationship, but they want you to understand about religion. And religion is man's attempt to get to God, but a relationship is God getting to you. And so he talks about the sin outside the camp. Now, there was two different types. Uh, there's more than that, but just to, to simplify things, there were the sweet offerings. And then there was the sin offering. The sweet offerings, uh, after they was offered up, those offerings were given to the priest and they would eat them. The sin offering... Uh, here, as we get in the picture now, remember, why is he referring to Old Testament teachings? Because they had just come out of that stuff. They, they, they understood what animal sacrifices were about. They understood all of that. Now they've come into the church, and, and Paul says it's not about law anymore, but it's about grace. And so he uses this word, and what we see is now the sin offering, speaking about us now, our sin offering has become sweet to us. See, our sin offering was the Lord Jesus Christ. And with the picture in mind, he had to go outside the city as well to suffer and to die see the problem with many in our churches and also within our leadership is that we're afraid and we don't want to get outside the box the catholic church for many years would not encourage their followers to read their bibles why because if they started reading their Bibles, then they would relinquish control over them. They say, well, them Catholics. It's happening in many churches today. They won't say that, but they feel like if they can keep you ignorant, then you have to depend upon them even more. That's idolatry. Our job as servant leaders here again is not to put the attention upon us but put all the attention upon Him and understand that we all came by way of the cross. We all come, came by grace. We ought as servant leaders ought to be even more so encouraging you to do your quiet times, to do your personal Bible studies, to ask the questions that rise up in the readings and in your personal time. And many, and I'm just going to be honest with you, 
There are many ministers who are afraid of that. And the reason why they're afraid of that is because they're really not sure about a lot of things. I'm just telling you. Oh, what's going to happen if they ask me this question? Oh, what's going to happen if they ask this? Well, that means I'm going to have to look into the Word of God. I'm just going to be honest with you. I was in Bible school. I was astonished by those who felt like they were called of God. And I'm not here to judge anyone. I'm just showing you the evidence. That they came and I heard them more than one time say something like, Oh, why are you here? Well, I just think I ought to be in the ministry. You think you ought to be in the ministry? What's wrong with that picture? Many didn't make it the first semester. I saw their lives. I had guys that lived in the dorm where I live that because they didn't have a church, they'd sleep in on Sunday. Now tell me, is that of God? And they were going to be leaders? And do you know? And do you know that there were many? Exactly what happened, they got a church position somewhere. I wanted to call and, and find out where they were. And I say, hey, I just want you to know. They slept in on Sunday. Is that the kind of minister you want? Is that a staff member that you want? Now, understand, we live in a cocoon here. We're thinking that, 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 that everybody, every church operates like that. Every church operates like this. And that's the reason why the church has become a laughing stock to many people. Because they can see through superficial, phony, messed up ministries that have no power whatsoever. They teach you in school how to do outlines. They'll teach you how to, you can go ahead and you can, you, you can do church and you can go through the mechanics of it, but that's not what we're here about. We're not here just to do church. We are the church. And it all starts with the leadership. It all starts with the understanding is, it's not about following me. It's not about who's better or who's more charismatic. It's about who's faithful, as we made mention already. It's about who's faithful. Faithful to the Word of God and preach the Word of God with conviction and, and not be so concerned with convenience and understand that they get their marching orders from the Lord Jesus Christ. And they understand that they have not arrived. They understand that they're not a celebrity. They ought to understand they're not the CEO, but they are a servant leader, which means they come under the shepherd, the good shepherd, and this thing is not by what this one needs to do or what we feel about this but this is thing is about what does Jesus Christ have us to do but then he goes on and we're closing is that there's this in verse the verse 15 through 16 is the sacrifice we've already talked about that but I came across this verse first Peter chapter 2 verse number 5 
It says that we are to be living stones. Now understand, the church is not built upon a personality. But He uses us to help build the church. Do you see the difference? Every one of us who have trusted Jesus Christ, we are living stones. We are here and God has gifted us. And oh, we can talk a whole lot about spiritual business and all that. But every, every one of us who, are, who has trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, He has given you the grace gifts. Everyone has at least one. I think you probably have more than one. But those gifts are to be used to help build the church. The church is not built upon us. It's built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But aren't you glad tonight that he chooses to use us to help build the church? But in Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, we're closing. That we are to be a living sacrifice. We are to be a sacrifice. See, a servant leader needs to understand there's cost involved with being a leader. You're not going to sometimes have dinner with your family because there's a need that has arose within the family. Sometimes your fishing trip is going to get canceled because there's someone who's dying on their deathbed and they need their pastor. Sometimes things that you've planned and worked towards, they might have to have a little hiccup in that. But my dear friend, we ought to all understand uh, that that should not be a sacrifice for us. It should be a privilege that God would even use us to be servant leaders. One of my mentors helped me to understand what being a servant leader was all about. He got criticism and all that that goes along with that. But he told me, he says, he says, Mike, he says, there's going to be difficult days. Just go ahead and count on it. There are going to be those that will not understand why you do what you do. He says, there's going to be times when you're even going to question why you're doing what you're doing. But he said, son, I've been in it going on close to 45 years and I have not regretted a single moment because I know one day I'm going to hear my master say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Our invitation tonight is, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're a minister. And we need to come to understand, and I've alluded to it this morning, and I've had discussions throughout today pertaining to this, is there are people who are dying all around the shadows of this church. There are people that nobody else wants to mess with. There are people that everybody else has written off. But the reason why we need to continue to go after them is because 
somebody went after you. Aren't you glad that somebody didn't give up on you? Aren't you glad that you got a knock on your door? Aren't you glad that somebody saw you at Walmart and started talking to you about spiritual things and about where your life was? Aren't you glad that somebody took the time to invest in you? My dear friend, this thing is not about us, but it's about Him. And if we're supposed to be the servant leaders and the ministers that He's called us to be, we need to understand what a wonderful privilege and what a great honor it is that He would even consider me to help him build his church.